also an opportunity. And yes, they're drifting, but what a wonderful opportunity that is for the church to rebuild relationships with young people and, and be the source of hope and strength and peace and joy that, that you know I think Jesus offers to all generations, but especially young people. Well, hey, friends, it's great to be back with you. It's Jason here, and I want to welcome each of you to the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. I imagine you're probably in a similar spot as me. As a church leader, we've just launched into our fall ministry rhythms, and I know for a lot of people who've been online, churches from across Canada who maybe haven't been doing in-person gatherings over the summer, last weekend or the weekend before was a launch into back in person. And so I know with that, there's a lot of mixed feelings, lots of joy, but also a new level of fatigue and lots of change to be processing. So I just want you to know we're praying for you. In fact, let me just take a moment right now and just pray for churches and those listening. God, we thank you so much. Uh, for the season that feels like a season of reopening, but we know that with this comes all sorts of emotions like, you know, realizing people that were there before aren't there, new people, all the change involved, and also just some stuff that's happened internally with us. We're not the same people as we were before the pandemic. And so I just pray for your grace towards pastors and leaders right now. And as churches reopen, and as these rooms and buildings and congregations are filled with songs again, I pray that we bring joy to our heart as we lift up your name, Jesus. Restore your people, strengthen us now. In your name we pray. Amen. By now, you've likely heard about the Church Leaders Incubator. It's a two-year program that our team has designed for pastors. It includes coaching, training, lots of shared learning, and personal growth. And we start our first round this month. We were able to accept 18 pastors from across Canada into the program. And so would you take a moment to pray for these pastors that begin this journey? They're people who are leading churches from all over the country, different denominations and church sizes, but each with a heart to see more people follow Jesus faithfully in Canada. And it's a large undertaking, you know, on top of their already full schedule. So pray for them. And if you're interested in being part of this program, you can go to our website right now, find out more and fill out an interest form. Before we get into today's episode, I want to thank our friends at International Justice Mission for what they're doing. Many of you would have heard the episode we did a few weeks back with Anu, but if you haven't, please check it out. She is the executive director of IGM Canada, and she's an incredible leader with a profound story of courage, perseverance, and God working in her life. And as she shared about the heart of IGM, it really gripped my heart. I mean, Anu has put her life on the line to defend and rescue children who are being preyed on by evil people. And this is the kind of work that IGM is doing around the world on behalf of the church. And IGM Canada has a resource called Freedom Sunday. It's an experience that local churches can use to engage their congregations in a conversation and teaching on biblical justice. Their Freedom Sunday kit has sermon ideas, graphics, videos, and everything you need to run a weekend focusing on biblical justice with your church. And so you can find out more about that at igm.ca slash Freedom Sunday. And I know that the team at IGM would love to connect with you and your church if you want to explore what it'll look like to partner together to end slavery around the world. You can get in touch with their team at that same link. Okay, today's interview is with the brilliant and compelling Kara Powell. Kara is the executive director of the Fuller Youth Institute. She's the author of Sticky Faith and Growing Young. And as a pastor, I've used her books as resources for student ministry, for parents, and anyone working with children and youth. Her most recent book, Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager, is such a great resource. And what I love about her work 
and about, you know, our whole conversation is that it's anchored in up-to-date research on the state of youth culture and next-gen perceptions of the church and their experience of faith, but it's also rooted in the gospel and in scripture. She's a thoughtful follower of Jesus, and you're going to hear all that come through in the conversation we have today. I believe the themes we talked about in this conversation are essential for pastors to wrestle with if we're going to see a thriving church in Canada for years to come. So let's jump into today's conversation. Well, hey, Kara, it is so good to be with you today. Thanks for making time to hang out with us. Oh, my pleasure, Jason. I've been looking forward to this. Now, Kara, you are an incredible writer and educator and researcher and minister. Uh, Tell us a little bit, like for those that don't know you as well, give us a window into maybe some of the projects and groups you're working with right now that's most exciting you. Yeah, I'd love to. So uh, I'm a faculty member at Fuller Seminary, but really my main job is our jobs, I should say. uh, I'm the executive director of the Fuller Youth Institute, which is a research center focused on young people's faith formation. And then I'm also the chief of leadership formation at Fuller Seminary. So I oversee Mm. actually a number of centers that are all geared toward serving hands-on leaders in very practical ways. Um, And so we really, our method is we take research and turn it into resources that are spread through relationships. So Mm. I think I've always been passionate about research and resources. You know, when you ask about a a project that I'm particularly passionate about right now, it's that third R, that relationships, that is um, very life-giving to me. How Mm. can we bring together the body of Christ, like Jesus prayed in John 17, to see more leaders equipped and more young people impacted. So, um, so that that's a big part of what I'm investing in these days. Oh, I love it. And um, I've been on an interesting journey. Like a lot of people listening, they might have had a season in youth ministry or in yeah. children's ministry, and then they, right. you know, graduate on or whatever. And I don't want to slam the person. Like I've heard some people say, if you're not called to it for life. No, no, listen, we're all got to make our way through the pathway in churches, ministries. Um, But what's interesting with my journey is I feel more, um, more passionate about children and youth ministry than I ever did when my job title said children or youth on it. And so when I meet someone like you, Kara, who's like dedicated your life to championing the cause of the next generation, I find myself just like, first of all, thank you so much. Mm. I, I just, I just feel like, well, maybe let me turn it into a question. Um, what's at stake here? Because we're going to talk about, I'm just going to lay the thesis out. I think that every senior pastor needs to make children and youth work one of their primary problems. Yeah. But I think when, when, you, when you, someone like you dedicates your life and we're working really hard to build resources to reach the next generation, educate, what's at stake? Like, why is this so important today to be a conversation that we have? Yeah. Well, honestly, when you ask the question, Jason, what's at stake, the word that pops into my mind is everything. Hmm. Um, You know, I I think everything is at stake because our young people are the church of today and they're the the church of tomorrow. And so if we're not prioritizing them, if we're not, as you said, um, you know, thinking about how do we respond to the drift of young people from the church and the faith, which I know you and I, it's certainly a need or a problem. It's also an opportunity. And I know you and I have both been influenced by the Great Opportunity Report that particularly looked at at young people in the U.S. And yes, they're drifting, but what a wonderful opportunity that is Mm -hmm. for the church. 
to, to re, rebuild relationships with young people and, and be the source of hope uh, and strength and peace and joy that, mm-hmm. that, you know, I think Jesus offers to all generations, but especially young people. So I would mm-hmm. say everything's at stake. And um, what's, what's amazing about our research, like I was just quoting from our growing young research today, that we started because we wanted to study how churches are changing young people. And we certainly did that. But along the way, we also saw how young people are changing churches. Mm. So, you know, I, I can't, I'm biased here, but I can't think of a better way to reinvigorate a church mm. than to have its young people be passionate uh, in their following of Jesus. So, so I think everything is at stake, not just for young people, but really for all of us. Mm. Hmm. And I know that some of the numbers would be different um, from the U.S. to Canada. Yeah. And so, but don't don't hesitate to to cite U.S. research on this or yeah. or generally because the trends are the same. What are some yeah. of the trends and currents? And so, for example, some of the currents and trends you know over the last decade have been decreased engagement in the church among millennials and Gen Z. Um, yeah. There's also like in the in the clergy level, less and less uh, young clergy. What other trends are you seeing that you think are relevant for us to be looking at in terms of plot lines as we look ahead to the state of the church? Yeah. Well, I, I, you've nailed a couple of the really important ones. You know, here in the U.S., and sorry, I I do know U.S. data better than I know Canadian data. Uh, Here in the U.S., the typical church is aging and or shrinking. Um, 18 to 29 year olds make up 17% of the population, but they're less Mm. than 10% of U.S churchgoers. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, you know, we, we have a, a dwindling of young people, which is causing, it's one of the, a handful of reasons that churches are, are getting smaller. I'll also say when it comes to data, I'm very concerned about what's happening with all generations, mental health, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'll say, especially young people's mental health in the midst of this pandemic. I mean, it was bad before we all went into quarantine and the, the the distance and the isolation hmm. that all generations have experienced, but especially young people. I mean, we're seeing uh, escalating rates of uh, suicides, c- completed suicides, suicide ideation, et cetera, depression, anxiety. So I'm, I'm very concerned about what's happening hmm. uh, with young people when it comes to mental health also. Hmm. I feel like the gap between... And I, I think I, I was a teenager, you were a teenager. We're all, we always felt like our parents didn't understand us. Like that's yeah. always been the case. And there always felt like a gap, like, mom, you don't get it. And like, you know, but I feel like that gap, and I don't know if that's just an anecdotal experience or if that's what the research is showing, but there is a sense by which the disconnect between the average 15-year-old and even the 30 or 40-year-old or 50-year-old in a church, it just seems to be growing. Language, yeah. reference points, uh, values, it seems like you're having two separate conversations and missing each other. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that this has become a little bit of a theme here, Jason. I think that's a problem and an opportunity. Hmm. Um, because yes, while the gap has uh, grown, I think once we've earned trust with young people, that they're open to helping us bridge that gap. So, wow. you know, let me let me just get super tangible. Yeah, we're, please. Dave and I, we're, we're parents of a 20-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 15-year-old. So we, we are living, uh, you know, young adult and youth ministry in our house. 
And in the midst of the pandemic, you know, in the U.S., um, when George Floyd was murdered, there was the surge of interest in racial justice and racial reconciliation. And, and young people, in many ways, were, were leading um, in various cities, various towns, various marches, peaceful protests, et cetera. And, and so there was probably about a month where at most dinner times, one of my first questions for my kids was, what did you see on social media today about race? Um, Because I wanted to know and I wanted us to be able to talk about it. Hmm. And I've I've done a lot of things wrong as a parent. Like we can do a whole other podcast. We can do a podcast series on that, Jason. (laughs) But I'll I'll point out, I think the one thing that I did well is ask a question, really being curious. Young people have radar when, Mm -hmm. um, when, when we're, when we have a particular agenda that we're pursuing and, you know, my kids and other teenagers will kind of shut me down if they, they think I'm pursuing an agenda and, and maybe rightly so. But if I'm coming in a posture of curiosity, tell me more, how can I learn from you? And so, you know, what I would say to any pastor is, is when you're starting to feel like there's a gap, well, blatantly ask young people to help you cross that gap. You know, ask three young people in your church, hey, could we have coffee once a month? And I can just ask you questions and you can show me what's going on in social media or show me your favorite five images on your phone because I would just love to understand that better. Yeah. You know, let, let's, let's let young people be experts in helping us bridge the gap as we've built trust with them to do so. Hmm. I kind of want to slow down some of what you said there, because I think it was really profound. Um, there's something about, like even you just said, like we were having dinner together yeah. and I asked a question. I mean, those are, like that's a, that, even that yeah. is a decision. That's not, that doesn't happen on accident in the average yeah. home. And then that posture of curiosity, because it is, I'm sure, tempting to just commentate so much on everything that they never want to answer that question. Like yeah. talk, talk to me a little bit more about actually like, the intentionality behind creating that space, yeah. inviting them to the table, um, and then taking a curiosity where they actually want to tell you what they saw. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jason. That was. Uh, I'm glad you slowed the, this conversation down a bit. So um, every family needs to figure out uh, when they best connect with their young people. And every mentor needs to figure out when he or she best connects with their young people. Uh, What's interesting is there have been seasons before the pandemic when I would actually connect best with our teenagers when we were driving places. Because, you know, a lot of what I did was I was their personal Uber, helping them get from, you know, soccer practice to worship practice to small group to a homework session, et cetera. And I loved that time in the car. The pandemic strikes. and, And I would say we were a family who we would probably have dinner together two to three times a week, honestly, in a typical week, um, in a really busy week, maybe even less than that. So Dave and I, we were connecting with our kids in the car. We were connecting when we tucked them in. We were looking for other windows. And, and so that's what I just have said to parents all along is meals are great for some families sometimes, but what's important is the relationship wherever you're mm-hmm. building it. Um, the pandemic comes and all of a sudden we're not driving many places in right. our car. I mean, my minivan sat in our driveway four or five days in a row that I wouldn't drive it. Meals, all of a sudden, this this very busy uh, 
sometimes overly busy family that we were, you know, the pandemic was the brake pedal that in many ways I think we needed. And, and we did start having meals more together and, um, mm. and most nights we had a meal together and sometimes it would be 20 minutes. Other times it would be like 45 minutes of just processing the day. Again, I would, I would often kind of have a curiosity question, curiosity question I wanted to ask them um, about technology, about something I had read about young people. Um, you know, one of the things that I've talked about with my kids multiple times is uh, it's been said that you you become a, the average of the five people with whom you spend the most time. Hmm. But if you look at the five people that you spend the most time with, uh, you, you become basically the sum total of them. Do you think that's true? And, you know, just to have a, a conversation like that. So, wow. so we did... When the pandemic hit, dinners all of a sudden became really the best way, best time for yeah. us to connect with our kids. And so, uh, and sometimes, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a very structured, intentional person. So I have to tell myself, like, Kara, don't come into dinner with a question. Like, don't. Let's just let's just see where the conversation goes. Um, and and so I more need to uh, make things more organic, shall we say. Whereas there are others um, who maybe need to turn that dial and be a little bit more structured. So know, mm. know where you tend to lean and then try to compensate to have mm. the, the, the right rhythms for your family. I want to come back to this idea of parents and engaging their children and their teenagers. Um, so I'll just put a pin on it. Yeah. I want to talk about that, though, in the context of the work that a local church can do holistically to serve and support the discipleship of children and youth. Yeah. And, and so just begin, what, what, it, what is holistic, like what does it look like for a senior pastor to do more than hire a youth pastor, a children's pastor to pursue? And I think about the work you guys did in Growing Young, yeah. um, which is, was a really impactful book for me and the research that you guys did that really looked at churches that were, I think, succeeding in this area. I think you yeah, absolutely. profiled 250 churches that are having some measure of consistent success engaged next generation. And yeah. the things that were mentioned were not like built a youth center. You know, it was way more holistic than that. So just yeah. give us a little window into what holistic youth ministry and children's ministry looks like in a local community. Yeah, great question. So we did study 250 churches that are growing young. And we did deep dive. And uh, when we, you know, over... 10,000 pages of data that we collected. And we were able to identify six core commitments that uh, these churches exemplified when it came to loving and attracting young people. And uh, it, it started with the kind of leader that they were, that they that they developed. And you know, the good news, the good news for me, Jason, I'm a little bit older than you. The good news for me is that it's not about being a young or a cool leader. It's about being what we call a keychain leader, hmm. a leader who looked for ways to hand the keys of power, access, and authority to young people. And wow. so, you know, if you happen to be a, a young, cool leader uh, like yourself, Jason, well, then Stop awesome. Stop it, Kara. <laughs> yeah, hey, compared to me, it's, it's all relative, right? So, it's relative. <laughs> um, but, you know, for those who are young and hip, awesome. Just keep being that way. And, you know, my teenagers would say just the way that I said young and hip betrays that I am neither young young nor hip. So even my language betrays that. But um, 
But, you know, if that is you, then then great, be yourself. But for all of us, all of us, how can we hand keys over to young people? How can we build genuine relationship with young people? One of our, one senior pastor we interviewed said something so powerful. He said, for young people, warm is the new cool. Hmm. So it's not about, you know, being a, being hip, even throughout your church, it's, are you a warm environment? Another one of the core commitments that we identified was neighboring well, and how much young people want to be invited uh, into sacrifice, into giving for their local and global neighbors. So, uh, so, you know, there is no single lever to your point about it being holistic. There's no single lever that works with all young people. What we saw churches do was think about their leadership, think about their community, think about their teaching and how they did or didn't talk about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, think about how they empathize with young people. And, and it was it was really um, making progress in all six of these areas that seemed to set these churches apart. Hmm. What is, tell me about the point on empath, empathizing with young people. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Yeah. You know, millennials and now Gen Z have been so maligned by those of us who are older. We have criticized, we have condemned, we have judged. And what we saw growing young churches do is they didn't judge young people. They journeyed with young people. Hmm. Um, I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm so interested in uh, building relationships with others, and I've been getting to spend time with more Catholic leaders. And uh, Catholics talk about accompaniment, that a lot of mentoring is accompanying somebody else in their journey as you together journey. And that's what we saw growing young churches do. They mm-hmm. had adults who were accompanying young people. And sometimes it didn't come easy. I think about this church in uh, in Indiana, where uh, they they decided to prioritize young people more. And there was one particular uh, senior adult. She was in her late sixties. Um, we'll call her Evelyn. Evelyn felt like, gosh, my church is now prioritizing young people instead of me, and I don't know how to relate to these young people. And so the pastor said, well, I'll tell you what, Evelyn, I'm going to put you on a committee with some young people. And so it was an intergenerational committee for this church of about two or 300. And all of a sudden, Evelyn spent time with young people and they no longer became someone who sits across the worship center. They became someone who sits across the table. And in particular, and actually our new book, Jason dives into this more in particular, when we adults empathize with young people's search for identity, mm. belonging, and purpose, those were the three things that we we saw growing young churches really focus on an empathetically journey with young people. And they're figuring out who they are, where they fit, and what difference can they make. Um, and as, as Evelyn did that, as Evelyn asked questions, listened, shared more about herself, like she came to not only love young people, but they loved her in return. Wow. So, you know, that's good news. We're not we're not just talking about those those of us over 30 who gravitate toward young people. We saw these thoughtful churches give all adults a vision for investing in young people hmm. that, that paid off. Oh, it's so encouraging. Uh, there was a study done in Canada in 2011. I think I'm getting that right. We'll cite it in the notes. Um, and it was similar to the research of Sticky Faith. 
And it was um, just, I think, a similar trend. Like it was identifying that yeah. high percentage of students, if you're, they followed up four or five years after graduation from high school, were disconnected from the local church. And then they, they, they found out what were the consistent factors at play for those who did stay in. Uh, in the life of local church or had meaningful faith expression. I don't know how they quantified it. But the number one determining factor, one way or the other, was the faith modeled in the home by the parents. Mm, And and that's similar to what was found in Sticky Faith, right? Yeah. There's this haunting line that you said in Sticky Faith. Uh, I don't know if you're quoting someone, but I remember circling it. And you said, when it comes uh, to parent, correct me how I get it, when it comes to parenting, you get who you are. Is that, did I get the quote right? Yeah. Yes, it was not me. It was Chris okay. Smith who did a major study of U.S. young people across a number of faiths, uh, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Mormonism, et cetera. And his quote was, he said this at a panel at Fuller, and I think it's in uh, one of his books too. When it comes to kids' faith, parents hmm. get what they are. Wow. So good memory, Jason. You were really, it's haunting cool. though. It's haunting. Oh, oh, totally. It's like encouraging and terrifying at the yeah. same time. So, uh, but you know, I just want to, uh, I'm actually speaking at my, uh, my 12th grade daughters an event for parents sometime soon. And I'm going to pull on some of our research. And one, so I've been thinking about this. One of the things I'm going to say is what we saw amazing parents do is not be perfect. Hmm. Not at all but be quick to apologize. Hmm. <laughs> like, you know, cause our kids, my kids see me at my worst. Yeah. And uh, you know, one of the many ways our research has changed me is giving me a bigger understanding of God's grace to be sure. And make me uh, more committed to sharing that and repenting and asking forgiveness from our kids. Um, and I wanted this interview that I did, we, we were in a season where we were interviewing amazing parents. And this was a, a parent of, he had two college students and a high school age student. And I called him for the interview and he said, you know, I, I just don't think uh, you should interview me right now. I've, I've had to apologize to all three of my daughters in the last 48 hours. And we had seen this theme in our research. And so I actually said, well, that's exactly why we want to talk to you Mm. (laughs) is because what we're seeing is, uh, you know, parents, yes, they absolutely model the faith. And when they don't, they apologize to their kids. Mm. They let kids in on how their own relationship with Jesus has highs and lows. So, yes, our example is really important. And one of the things we exemplify is the way that we apologize and we confess when we don't get it right. Mm. So. Mm. So for a lead pastor who wants to think about how the culture of their church, uh, think about empowering their youth team for youth programming, if that's the case, but then also serve and support parents, what yeah. kind of advice can you give a pastor if he's saying, hey, I, w- I want to serve and support parents in their effort of discipleship in the home, practically or, uh, yeah, how do we inspire that? How do we serve that as yeah. pastors? Yeah. Well, probably my first piece of advice is if for whatever age group that you are shepherding, if you haven't parented that age group, then create a small team of parents Mm. who have, who you can call on at any time. Mm. Um, Because if if you haven't parented the age group you're shepherding, you just don't, you can't fully get what it's like 
to, to be a parent of that age group, all the highs and the lows. Uh, and so our, our high school pastor does this. Um, he has two wonderful daughters. The oldest is probably five or six. And so me and a handful of others, like we are his go-to people. And he mm. texts us with questions. He gathers us some time for feedback. He's very thoughtful about learning from parents and making sure that he understands what parents are going through. And so, mm. so that's the first thing I would say is if you haven't parented, so um, helpful. Then, then create your own little casual or structured group of parents that, that can be your sounding board. But I do think parents do like it when the youth pastor who has no kids does give them advice, don't they? <laughs> Not so much. Not so much. I, you know, I, I think I had more advice for parents before I had kids than I did before. I had a lot of advice for parents before I had kids. Totally. <laughs> you knew so much about parenting before you had kids. It was so, so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, there's just so much that you don't see as a pastor. Like, and I had no idea until I parented teenagers all that I didn't see when I was a youth pastor. And, you know, our three kids um, have all been very connected to our student ministry, involved in student leadership, involved in worship leadership, involved in a small group, had a mentor, et cetera. And yet these great mentors who I appreciate so much, they, they see maybe 20% of what my kids are going through, honestly. Um, they hear about it four days later. They don't see it in real time necessarily. Dave and I are the ones who, who you know, see our son when his girlfriend is broken up with him, you know, in, in front of our house on, um, mm-hmm. at our front door. Uh, we're the ones who journey with our daughters when they're feeling lonely or are struggling with friends. And so, again, I love, I love these amazing mentors. I'm so grateful for them. Um, and there's just so much that we don't that we as mentors, pastors, pastors don't see. Uh, the second thing I would say for pastors, whatever age group you're working with, is whatever, do whatever small steps you can take to equip parents. Hmm. Um, and, and the more practical, the better. Like what I want as a parent is I want a couple questions that I can talk about with my kids that relate to their small group, relate to, you know, whatever message it was, relate to Sunday morning, Sunday school. I I just want a couple handholds from you on what I can ask about, what I might be able to share. And so, you know, I I love it when churches, and our church has done well with this, gives me just those few questions that I can talk about with my kids, whether it's, you know, in the minivan ride as we're driving home, or whether it's over a meal, or as I'm tucking them in, whatever it might be, like I, I love those practical handholds. So one of the best gifts you can give a parent is a few questions mm-hmm. to know how they can discuss and reinforce and partner with you better in what you're trying to teach at the church. That's so helpful. And what kind of support, like and I mean literally like support, like emotional, spiritual support, can we give parents? Like, you know, we like what does it mean for us to just help parents know like as a minister, yeah. I, before a sermon, open up my hands and ask the Holy Spirit to animate what I'm about to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a time in my life where people, older people came around me and prayed for me for the task of being a pastor. I feel like I, I want to do that for every parent. Like, you are the chief disciple maker in these precious little ones' lives. And 
you need the help of the Holy Spirit and a community and support, but they don't go to school. We don't go to school for it. Right. We don't, you know, and so like, and then even just the spiritual support, like as a pastor, I know how I'm supported by mentors. Like, how can we as a church support parents in their task of yeah. parenting? Yeah, I, I had a great conversation with uh, Reggie Joyner at Orange about this. Orange is a wonderful ministry that's all about how do we bring church and family together. And I, I think in many ways we need to think about think about how we're doing youth ministry to parents, or maybe better said, parent ministry to parents. Yeah, just like we're thinking about with young people, how do we create the the warmth? and the support that parents need. And so, mm -hmm. for instance, how do we connect parents with each other? Um, I see thoughtful uh, ministries like create, create a book club, uh, or at, often short, not, not, not months of the commitment, like we're gonna read a book together for three weeks, or take advantage of, of when parents know they need help. Parents know they need help when their kid's going to a new school, when mm. their kid is entering a new school level. So like kindergarten, like middle school, like high school, like college. And so, you know, I've seen a lot of creative churches say, okay, let's bring parents together now as their, as their kids are, say, going to college or the military, the workforce, et cetera. And let, let's create a, some kind of parent support for two or three weeks just to get the ball rolling and seeing what God does. So I would say connecting parents with other parents, uh, connecting parents with mentors, you know, if they're, if, I know in your church, pastors, I know in your church, there are parents who you respect and younger parents respect. Could you create, you know, an availability or uh, here's a, here's a parent advice council, or here are three parents, you know, a single mom, a blended family and uh, an intact family. And they're all here to, to answer your questions as you need. So mm. you know, and the mentoring. And then the last thing I will say is, um, Leaders make my day when they text me something great about my kid. Actually, you make my week. Hmm. You make my week when you text me something great about my kid. Just like you would want to text a teenager if you saw, you know, to affirm them, like affirm a parent yeah. in something you see in their kid. You're like our high school pastor recently reached out to me and said, your daughter um, did such a good job welcoming a new girl this morning to church. And I, she was just so hospitable, connected her with other girls. I was like, yes. I mean, you know, that was like the <laughs> high of my week is hearing, uh, is hearing that about my daughter. And wow. so, so yeah, take, take 60 seconds right now and send a couple mm -hmm. texts to parents, letting them Honestly. know what you appreciate about their kid and you will make a parent's week. So I don't know if I just stole this from you. I, I, I didn't, I read something. I don't know if this was in Sticky Faith or something like that, the Youth Leader's Guide. But I just remember when I was a youth pastor, I uh, asked every one of our youth, I told our youth leaders about this and they started doing it and it was game changer. Yeah. Like, yeah. honestly, it is like, and it makes sense as a parent now, like when a, the teacher at school said, Huddy was, Hudson was so polite in school today. I'm just like, <laughs> I just feel like a million bucks. There's nothing, but it's such an easy win. And, yeah. um, and so I, and then I had to try it too because we're trying to like, stop parents from just dropping off their kids and then bolting they'd stay in their car and so yeah. i'd go right out to their car and have the awkward conversation and it was totally. always so awkward and we we started like talking about the awkward conversation with parents in the car window but the nice. easiest way in was always hey like you know we love having kyle like it really stands out to us just how much he like draws other people in or yeah. he's so creative yeah. you know and anything and it yeah. was game changer so thank you so much for saying that and it's worth any youth pastor listening pause yeah. Just pause. Just stop. 
this yeah. this will get get your money's worth right now. Like just yeah. go implement that in some way. It really yeah. helps. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and especially a, a lot of these pastors are intimidated by parents, and so yes. you build a great bridge when you compliment their kid. So, talk to me about that intimidation because that's real. Like, there's like I think there's this weird myth that like the parents are not for. Like, there's this yeah. like like parents are in the way of good youth ministry, but I yeah. think we have to switch it to be like no parents are the way to good youth ministry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you, the phone never looked so big than when I was. Tra- trying to make parent calls because mm. I just felt so intimidating. And, you know, I remember being like 24 and talking to parents and feeling like, I, I don't know, I don't know what to say. I don't understand what they've been through. I don't want them to think I'm calling because their kid's in trouble. And so, so you know, my, my best advice and what I ended up trying to do myself is well, we've already talked about like affirm something about their kid, the questions they ask, the way they dive in to whatever it might be. But then the other thing is ask parents how you can pray for them hmm. and and then let parents, you know, say a week later to a parent, hey, I am praying for you. How's it going with such and such? So not just ask for the prayer request, but actually pray and then follow up and find out how it's going. You know, regardless of whatever gap or intimidation you feel with parents, if you affirm their kids and uh, and and ask how you can pray you grow in confidence in, in approaching them and they feel more comfortable talking to you about what's really going on in their family. Hmm. Oh, that's so helpful. Um, before we, we, we wrap today, I really want to talk about your newest project. I'm yeah. really excited yeah. about it. I uh, love how you three... say projects, by the way. It's awesome. Okay. How do, okay, talk, how do I say it? What do you, you say, say? What do I say? Uh, I say project and you say. Pro- did I say project? Yeah. So you kind of say project. Yes. I, I think. I love it. I get the same comment. I'm, I think I'm in good company because most of our listeners are Canadian. I also, I think with resource, do we say it differently? How do you say, we resource? say resource? Yeah, resource. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think when I was down at Fuller, like it was like two Decembers ago, I think you made that same comment to me. I probably did. I probably did. So. You said project, say that again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, well, just a little cross-cultural learning here. Appreciate I want to talk about a new resource, uh, a project you're working on. Yes, yes, the resourceful project that yeah. I finished. So I, I already mentioned it. that in our Growing Young research, we saw these uh, these three areas that young people are wrestling with. Identity, who am I? Belonging, where do I fit? And purpose, what difference do I make? And uh, a number of us at Fuller started really reflecting on those questions and started using them as glasses through which to view young people. Um, This is game changing for my own parenting. Whenever one of my teenagers would do something that I just couldn't quite understand, if I stopped and said, how are they searching for identity or belonging or purpose? Then it made sense. Like, well, Mm. of course she's asking this question because she's so hungry for belonging. Or of course they're acting like this because they're trying to figure out their identity. And so we did a, a, another deep dive with 27 very diverse young people. Um, we, on purpose, uh, only seven of the 27 were white kids. The other 20 were kids of color. Um, and we did six hours of interviews with each of those kids to really understand their current answers when it comes to identity, belonging, and purpose. What are they currently using to understand themselves, to feel like they belong, and to feel like they make a difference. And then, and here's the key, Jason, what is Jesus's best answer to those questions? Mm. And how do we create a bridge in our churches, in our ministries, and in our families 
from how young people are currently answering these identity, belonging, and purpose questions to Jesus's best answer. So uh, we we have a book came out in August, and uh, it's been so encouraging to see how people are responding um, to this framework and helping mm. them understand. And the subtitle of the book is about having better connections and conversations. And that's really what we want. We want relationships to flow more easily and conversations to flow more easily. Hmm. The project is called Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. And I yeah. can't, I, I can't, I recommend all of your books. And, and I've bought, like, for example, Sticky Faith. Uh, I bought copies for all the parents in our youth ministry. Oh, awesome. We're doing a parent info and resource night um, with our own church. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, and I'll be commending these resources to them. So I, I'm just so thankful for your work, Kara, and excited for this. Excited to excited to read this for people to be exposed to it. I think it's really really helpful. I'd love for you to just give us like a window into a little bit. I know you can't like talk about all of it, but like when you talk about Jesus's response, I'd like just to hear you flesh it out. Like yeah. how do, how 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 does Jesus respond to those questions of identity that teenagers are wrestling with? I'll yeah, I'll just focus on identity. I just to go deep in one. Um, what we saw in, the, in young people's current answers is they often feel inadequate. They don't feel mm. like they measure up. They're not smart enough. They're not popular enough. They're not pretty enough. They're not uh, black enough for black teenagers or Latino enough, as, as especially kids of color are navigating multiple worlds. Mm. And so, um, you know, Jesus's best identity answer is that I'm more than enough because of Jesus. Jesus makes me more than enough. And, uh, you know, I, I, at my age, I'm still learning to lean into that, that Jesus makes me more than enough, more than enough of a mom, more than enough of a leader. Um, and, and, and young people, I, I so want young people to know that. Um, you know, I, I was asked earlier today in another conversation, like, what do you want young people to know about their faith? Like, if you could, if you could wave yeah. along and change, change young people's faith. And my answer, because this is something I talk about with my own kids a lot, is I want them to know that only Jesus satisfies. Hmm. Only Jesus satisfies. That we look for all sorts of things for our identity, belonging, and purpose. And only Jesus' answer ultimately um, last and satisfy and give us the peace and the hope and the joy and the stability that we want and need. And so... Um, so yeah, for identity specifically, it's I'm more than enough because of Jesus. And, and again, we have similar answers for belonging and purpose. And folks can get uh, a sneak peek of the book if you go to threebigquestionsbook.com. That's the number three, threebigquestionsbook.com. Uh, we have a free chapter. There's excerpts so you can dive in and start to understand more about identity, belonging, and purpose. Oh, I'm so thankful to hear that and excited. I love it. I just... I really, that, that answer really does impact me, you know, that, that nothing totally. else satisfies but Jesus. Totally. I mean, and what's interesting, Jason, I know we're out of time, but we're, we have a hypothesis that each one of us has a different question, identity, belonging, or purpose, that is kind of the first among others in terms of our yeah. own growth, our own formation, our own struggles, and for me, it is identity. Like mm. I, I and really knowing that I'm enough. My co-author uh, in the book, Brad Griffin, who you've also met, for him it's belonging. For my husband, it's purpose. So you know, we we have this different kind of front door to our own growth. But you know, just camping out on identity a little bit for me, um, I often struggle by feeling like I'm not a good enough mom. 
And especially when I study all, all these amazing parents, it's easy to compare the worst of what I know about myself with the best of what I've studied in other people. And, you know, when I feel insecure about myself as a mom, I'm, one of my prayer rituals is to, to just remind myself, Jesus, you make me more than enough. Jesus, you mm. make me more than enough. Um, and so, I mean, that's, that's something I pray for myself regularly because I, I'm learning to experience Jesus' full answer for myself, too. So. Mm. Well, I'm so thankful for our time together today. Yeah. Thanks for giving so much time and for the work you're doing. We're all, uh, we're all benefiting from it. So thank you so much. Well, thanks again to Kara for joining us on the podcast today. And as you heard her latest book, Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager's Out Now. So go ahead and snake that on Amazon. And if you do read it and you do like it, I know it helps these authors a ton to get that like and review those five stars. It helps the word get out. I think this is a book that people need to be reading. Before you go, I want to give you a window into what the next month will look like on this podcast. We partnered up with Barna, the research group, and with World Vision Canada to bring you the latest data on 18 to 35 year olds in Canada. Barna and World Vision went out and they surveyed over 1,000 18 to 35 year olds in 2019 and then again in 2021 to update their data based off of the cultural shifts that happened over the last couple of years. And they've compiled into a report they're calling the Connected Generation Report. It's all about how Christian leaders can strengthen the faith and well-being of young adults today. So in the month of October, we're going to release four weekly episodes. We'll hit some of the data and some of the themes with guests like Mark Sayers, Danielle Strickland, Shayla Visser, and then we'll end it with a roundtable of young Canadian leaders reflecting on the information. David Kinneman, who's the president of Barna, will be joining us throughout to help us contextualize the data. It's going to be a strong month. And I am full of hope for the future of the church in Canada. And while some of this data is sobering, to say the least, it also reflects opportunities for how we can move forward. Well, that's all from me today. Thank you so much for listening to Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. And we'll see you in a few weeks when we sit down with David Kinneman and Mark Sayers to kick off the Connected Gen Month.